Exes for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Exes for Podcast. I'm Nico. I'm Nathan. And today we have an episode that, like, I am so excited because, you know, we've talked about how our expanded coverage of the X-Men has moved outside of just the mutant books. And, you know, we're over in Savage Avengers and we're heading to Strange Academy and we're doing all sorts of Marvel Universe things. But this is actually kind of a rare instance where this whole fucking episode is just X-Men. Yes. Oh my right? God. Yeah. So first up, we have a book that I know, you know, Nathan, we've been crazy about this. So sometimes when I'm like writing out the staffing on this and you and I and Josh are going over the staffing and I'm like, oh, this person's on this and this, like, it's like killing babies because like, <laughs> I want you and I on Marauders, right? Marauders yeah. has been such a wild ride from beginning to end. Now, I know that some big stuff happened this past Marauders. And before we spoil it for the crew that's going to come on, how have you felt about the transformation of Marauders? It, it went from great to losing me a little bit in the middle to this last issue was like, oh my God, I think I got everything I wanted out of it. So that's like really good. I truly felt that Marauders came due on a promise this past issue. Yes. And to talk about coming due on that promise, we have our crack expert team of Josh, Rod, Raven, and Arturo here to discuss what can only be described as some of the most beautiful revenge that has come out of the X-Men since Cassie Nova took Xavier's body to space. So guys, we hope you enjoy our coverage of Marauders number 16 coming up next. All right. We're here in the West Coast room to talk about Marauders 16. Written by Jerry Duggan, with art by Stefano Caselli, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. With the tournament finally over, the Hellfire Queens can get back to business and take their long-awaited revenge on Sebastian Shaw. With me today, I've got Raven. Raven, say hi and tell us where we can find you. Hello, I'm Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento. Type that in. You can find me all over the place. And I'd love to interact with people, so please come see me. Uh, and we also have Arturo with us today. How are you doing, Arturo? I'm doing great. Hello, fellow mutants. Uh, I am Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm very happy to be joined by our friend Rodders. Aloha, Krakoans. I'm Rodders. You can find me at rod comma the on twitter and instagram and sometimes on tiktok i post stupid shit rod would be rod is the most tiktoky of the uh this is x's for podcast crew absolutely and i'm josh wheel you can find me at asleep at the wheel w-e-i-l on twitter and at asleep at the wheel.com Marauder 16. I finished this book. I opened up my notes and I just wrote one word. Satisfying. Oh, yeah. Yes. Raven. <laughs> yes. So satisfying. 
Oh my god. Oh, she reached through the door and fucking punched him in the nose. Oh my god, thank you. Yes. That needed to happen, like, so badly. <laughs> like, like, everybody has been waiting for the Red and White Queen to come and pay him a bit of a visit. Because he pulled some bullshit. He got people killed. Like, straight up, he betrayed Krakoa and the mutants thereon. And and to see Emma Frost show up gorgeous and steely and, you know, quippy and witty and just basically sit there and watch as Kate Pride whoops the ever-loving shit out of that man. I mean, it was so beautiful to watch. I mean, between her train wrecking his, his drinks cabinet while he pleads and whimpers, and then like throat punching him, kicking him in the nads, kicking him in the ribs, just whooping wholesale ass. That was so beautiful. And in the second act, Lockheed and and Storm show up and continue the beating. I loved it so much because not only was it so freaking well-deserved, it did not show women as being weak. It did not show women as being timid or always needing to talk things out first. Oh no, this was righteous vengeance and it was very, very well done. Oh, Kate had the great line too, you know, when he was crying over his liquor that, you know, maybe men are too emotional to lead. Oh, I love that part. That was, that was so, so good. good. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so good. But you're right. Steely was a great word. The demeanor. I felt that it, it was a really good kind of mirror issue to two comics in particular. Obviously, the Marauders issue where Sebastian Shaw came in with his plan, depowered Kate and took her down. Um, and mm-hmm. you had a lot of mirrors with that and uh, callbacks to that. But also the uh, X-Men Black issue by Leah Williams, where Emma walked through uh, Hellfire and yep. took Sebastian Shaw down the first time. Yep, mm-hmm. yep, absolutely. Uh, Rod, tell me what you think, uh, what you thought about this issue. I mean, I absolutely love this issue from the first page to the last page. I mean, the first page we see Storm being like a plant goddess mother knowing everything about the like already solving the mystery which we didn't even know she's just biding her time you know as you do on Krakoa and government you can't just straight away go for vengeance when you're part of the government um and I love that they had a plan already and just Emma and Kate rolling up in horses which I love <laughs> we've been getting so right. many shots with them on horses I just ugh, I love it I just need them to have like a whole book of them just riding together on some horses right. and just talking. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they like, like Raven said, they just, they, they didn't, they didn't have the bullshit. They didn't talk first. They just handed him his ass and then kind of talked to him. They're like, you know what? This is, you know why we're doing this. We remember, I literally have kill shawl tattooed on my knuckles. Like <laughs> we're, we're going to like kill you or give you like, or make it your chance to kill you. Like they basically killed his spirit. And I just love the insult to injury they keep doing to him because, you know, he's all about material things Mm -hmm. and they're destroying his, you know, limited only one time whiskey. (laughs) And then they like they (laughs) one of my favorite things I haven't even seen many people talk about is when he tries to kill himself out of the window. Oh my and God. Glob sees. Yes. Oh, Hi, like, Glob. Hi, Glob. Glob's like, oh, no. Glob is such an innocent soul. He's like, oh, my gosh. He literally says, oh, my gosh, first of all. He's like, oh, my gosh, Mr. Shaw, are you okay? He's like, 
Kate's like, I got this, just go away. And he's like, okay. And he runs away. <laughs> oh my God. Right. He's such an innocent no. soul. I love him so much. And and the art on that like was a really great piece because you know, we've got this vengeance tale, right? This is a tale and kind of in the vein of it makes me think of hard candy and Mm. Uh, there was a film that was supposed to kind of come out earlier this year, um, and I'm not sure if it ever came out, that was of a similar... Oh, I think I know what film you're talking about, with the girl pretending to be... Um... Yeah, she pretended to be drunk and taken home by... I have to look up oh, the name of it, yeah. can edit this out, and we'll say out. the name afterwards. That's coming out in December. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was supposed to come out in February, and it never did. It had the uh, that great violin version of uh, Britney Spears' Toxic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's coming out on Christmas Day. Okay. But yeah, uh, the tales of kind of like women getting back. You could even go as far back to like cult horror films like I Spit on Your Grave. You know, it was this strong female vengeance tale. And, you know, we had the colors with, you know, a lot of the the fiery red and orange and, you know, these really kind of thick uh, inked lines. Everything was very very strong and then we get this page that is by caselli as well like where caselli completely shifts tone in his art that this is almost like it's a one-off page that it's like slapstick comedy where we see you know from the same perspective outside we see shark crash through the window and fall to the street and then kate come through and grab him and drag him back <laughs> through the door all while poor globs watching and like that Caselli managed to just kind of like take a little interlude there and do something completely different artistically without making it feel out of place in the book, I thought um, was a very strong hand from him. Yeah, I thought the nine panel spread was so cool because it yes. had almost like a almost like a flipbook animation style. Mm-hmm. Right? That it's like mm-hmm. you just have this little same setting and then with just a few little changes from panel to panel, you get this, this great little uh, scene, this great little beat. And it was a nice little step outside from the warm interior of Sebastian Shaw's, you know, drawing room and his and his whiskey collection. It was cool yes. to take a step outside and have this like fun little comedic break. Oh yeah, I mean I love nine panels when they're on comics. I think it's so fun that the way the artist can just kind of like go wild a little bit because you can't really write a lot in that. I mean I guess you can, but it's usually just for the artist to kind of go wild and take it in a little. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun like storytelling mechanism because like splash pages are great, and there mm-hmm. there's definitely not even splash pages, but like big splash panel moments in this which were great, like mm-hmm. Kate phasing through the door and punching. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when, when she interrupted him and like knock, knock, punch. karate tech, karate <laughs> chopped his, uh, his throat, like there was all sorts of great moments, but there's something to be said for a nine panel spread when it just, it just changes the pace of the story, you know, yeah. like yeah. there it's, it's less about the, the, the text and a little bit more about like what's happening panel to panel in a nice quick lash. You're absolutely right. It, it was, <laughs> you know me, I am the queen of pacing. I am so finicky when it comes to it. <laughs> But it was great that they had that that comedic moment just to give you a little uh, that little tension break so that you could go back in and just reset your brain a little bit to go, okay, the ass whooping is going to continue, but also they have some very important shit to say. So yeah, you needed that half step break to to give yourself that moment of <laughs> oh shit that's gonna be bad okay back inside to the to whatever's gonna be happening whatever's going on 
yeah, they did really, really well at that. And I think it actually, it, it helped the pacing, if anything. So and yeah, I, I, I got to say, I, I found this solution to, to the problem that is Shaw a lot more satisfying, strangely, mm -hmm. than if they had just killed him. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, you know, I think what we all kind of maybe expected on some level. I mean, that's what the tattoo says, right? That's the conversation to be had right now is Kirko yeah. and Justice, right? Like he's not even on panel, but I'm very mm -hmm. happy that Emma Frost brings up the problem with Victor Creed, you know, because mm -hmm. we've got Sabretooth in the hole. Yeah. And I mean, I certainly didn't see any indication in these pages that that situation's changing anytime soon. I mean, she specifically mm -hmm. said, you know, we throw you down there with Creed forever, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm, I'm still, you know, bent out of shape that uh, I, th I feel like now we have Hellions. <laughs> There's a place for Victor Creed. Mm -hmm. I think we should rehab him. But no, that's clearly still an option is just throwing people down the hole. Well, I mean, Hel Hellions is there for a reason. I get that. But they're still trying to use members who can be functional and work in a team. Victor Creed is not. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's not the kind of person who follows orders. And I really don't think he'd even follow Sinister's orders. He's no. had some good moments. Yeah. Like there was that whole thing during axis when yeah and i know that that involved his like polarity being reversed or whatever mm -hmm. that yeah. doesn't count no but there was a time where i mean hey and look and i cling to age of apocalypse version mm -hmm. of where there is a version of him that is more anti-hero than just murderous oh well i mean definitely in these yeah he but he pulled to... shit to get in that hole right yeah but he mm -hmm. was trying to be good absolutely in, um, one of the before i think before gold and blue where he was on the team with magneto and psylocke in them but mm -hmm. he had to save he had to save monette actually um mm -hmm. from herself and her brother because they were eating mutants and everything yes and he had to sell mm -hmm. his soul to mephisto and then like because he was good he was all well, he's turning anti-hero whatever he wasn't yeah, they had anymore. a whole redemption for him yeah. that's why yeah then I, I think was like screw that yeah so he lost all. but i think that's why creed is the way he is is because of the whole mephisto debacle but i wouldn't dying and then coming back would that fix it or would that just be the same because it's still his same soul that's corrupt yeah i think I it was it's just the same well, i mean i think that's something I, I think that's something that uh that leah might kind of explore more in the pages of, of x factor is when it comes to to resurrection with modifications mm -hmm. whether it be you know to your body or to your power set um i certainly think that there is a case to be made for um for stuff like that for you know mm -hmm. changing your personality in a way that isn't manipulating because you are opting in right like true or or because it's not even something negotiable like we need you not to be a psychopath right yeah we yeah. we need you to not be compromised and unfortunately he deeply is but this is kind of why i i was really happy that they didn't kill him that they just poisoned him because not only does it break him down not only does it humble him not only does it you know it strips him of a lot of his um mutant powers that he kind of relied on for the more heavy-handed manipulation Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if they had just killed him, it would have been done and over with, and you, you, he wouldn't have been really taught any lesson. They wouldn't have knocked him down any pegs. They just would have killed him. He would have been resurrected. And he would have been the same, you know, mutant powered jackass that, you know, got people killed and betrayed Krakoa. So I agree. Yeah. yeah I feel I, like I this whole this... experience kind of hot shawl to not try to screw over the, at least the X-Men portion of mm -hmm. Krakoa. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, By that last together. panel, the 
the oh, look on yeah, his no. face in the yeah. last panel, I don't yeah. know how much yeah. Shaw learned from this. I think True. Shaw definitely still has, uh, and I think that's a better story. I think that's a more interesting story. Having a a compromised and and weakened Shaw, mm-hmm. you still have him on the board, though, right? And yeah. and it's not just a, a reboot refresh. This time he promises he, not to he still be has his son. It's, it's he still has the he still has the his black son. bishop. Yeah, yep. he still has the the um the twins that he hired, the Nazi twins. I that <laughs> thank you for bringing that up. Yes, Fenris. I need to know yeah. where what were Fenris. And was, then he was, was the, Fenris or the Black Knight, I believe. I don't. I maybe I think so. But he was also Black in league with um Christian Frost, her brother. Mm. They were also teaming up behind the scenes, and yeah, Emma doesn't yeah. know that. Mm. Which I don't know to what extent. We don't know Christian what Christian Frost. Yeah. yeah, nobody knows yet, right? Like we, I don't know how much of that was Christian Frost being duped himself, or how mm. much of it was him like being underhand. But I, I have a feeling it was sure. more him being manipulated because you know, obviously, I don't think Emma would uh, would just turn a blind eye to that. And oh, I got, no. I mean, like just no. to talk about Emma for a second, like I loved watching Kate kick Shaw's ass, but oh my God. <laughs> it was for me, it was the quiet moments and the calm, mm-hmm. just like rich bitch, <laughs> just oh, yeah. posh, cool demeanor of Emma. Like Sebastian, please sit. We need to discuss the consequences. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like she was taking her fucking time, not yeah. a hair out of place, honey, mm-hmm. like just serving it up and explaining to him the options. Like your various treacheries will be revealed to the quiet council. We mm-hmm. will deliberate your fate for less time than we discuss our meal orders from Saucier. Like <laughs> just Loved being it. like, oh, it was so it was so real housewives of Krakoa. <laughs> oh yeah. And I love how she couldn't even be bothered to use because you know she could have just used her mind to bring him back. Oh, she yeah. was like she was like, Kate, just just go get him. I can't I don't, I don't want to <laughs> She was like, I don't want to go in that messy mind of his. I don't know. Ew. <laughs> and I like, think I think she also recognized that Kate really needed to do what she needed to do. Some aggression out, yeah. Because she was, I mean, she was the one who was so deeply I mean, she hurt died. by his actions. Exactly. I mean, she died and she begged for Lockheed's life. And yeah. he just he let it happen. Mm-hmm. It's like, and Lockheed is is like a fur baby to her. Okay. Yeah, that is like a son to her. So that's a child to her and for him to be so callous and just let that happen yeah. Uh, yeah you you know that she had a lot of aggression to get out which one is kind of, my, of why I, oh, go ahead oh, i was gonna say um just one of my favorite pages that i'm looking at right now that i would i hope i would love to buy from the artist they have the original you know like sketch of mm-hmm. is when shaw loses his eye and he's like oh well don't God, you yes. think that punishment was a tad excessive and they all storm looks at him <laughs> Like he is like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then wow. down below, speaking of movies, when they all have like the Kill Bill standing oh, over him, yeah, I love that. And it's such like a like a flip feminist moment because then it's the man yes. on the floor and it's only women standing over. Him. And, and like I love powerful X one too. And I love that Storm is here in this story. Mm-hmm. I, I the way that they broke that up and paced that was perfect for me because oh, yeah. there was there's this. Oh, my God, Jerry Dugan has done a lot of great things with this book. Oh, since, he really does. You know, he since really the beginning has. of Dawn of X. This is definitely one of my favorite titles. I'm not shy about saying that. Uh, certainly Same. Hellions has grown a lot in my heart in a very short time. And so I have X Factor and I love X-Force. And, but Marauders has just been such a, a flagship book for me for since the beginning of this, this era. And it's just incredible how much he has changed the relationship forever between Kate and Emma. Like, mm-hmm. And I know and I respect everybody has their different ships and whatever. And I don't ship them, but I, I absolutely love seeing them as like 
almost like sisters. Like Emma's uh-huh. kind of like this big sister auntie kind of vibe. And yeah, it's just, I love that. And then Storm being there, I think is really important because there was a time that I was, you know, of the mind that it would be great to kill Shaw and then name Storm Black Queen. So it's uh-huh. the three of them running shit, right? Like yes, just, she is. <laughs> and, and I think that, and yeah, I mean, it would be kind of, you know, tongue in cheek. It would be, yeah. it would be kind of perfect. Like, I mean, there was a time that Storm ran with the Hellfire Club when she and Magneto did, yeah. uh, if you recall. So, I mean, that it, it's in there. It's in the pages. Um, but I think it's good that she doesn't have that title. That it's like they're treating her as that. Like, the three of them mm-hmm. are definitely on equal footing. I mean, they yeah. showed up at the council meeting together. They collected Shaw's <laughs> trash ass in, in the, in the <laughs> like chair. Like Xavier's old wheelchair. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't even oh that hover around. Right. Oh. oh my god it was like the first wheelchair he ever had they dug that out of storage that was yes, crazy yes they wheeled him out you know they made sure the there was a wobbly a wobbly oh wheel god. like a like a bad shopping cart they're like yeah, this <laughs> you know that so, one wheelchair that survived all the expansion explosions <laughs> And then, yeah. and then, what the storm do? She takes her seat on her side of the council because it's good to remember mm-hmm. that although yes, she is a marauder mm-hmm. and she she fucks with Kate and Emma, obviously, but she's still a council member in her own right. And I, yes. so I think it's cool. It's like she is she's like the yeah. Black Queen that is not that doesn't even need the title. You yeah. Know? yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I definitely she's had that t- she's had that title. I feel like in so many groups just because she's present because people know that like she's gonna get shit done or oh, she's yeah. gonna fight for what she wants and you don't mess with her or her like opinion if she says something is something way then you're like okay i guess that's the way it is because they know like storm is level-headed and mm-hmm. you know intelligent enough to get what needs to be done so they're like okay well let's let's listen let's do this what she wants to do. and i love yeah. that kate has an eye patch already and emma <laughs> even breaks <laughs> it up like you have you, an eye patch, you have an eye patch? <laughs> yeah i thought i might need it at some point like who the I mean, she was she is a technically a pirate. I get it. It's like she prepared. Kate is is a prepared queen. Okay. I love I I love this era of Kate so much. I've never been a big Kate or Kitty fan. She just wasn't a big one for me. I respect Mm -hmm. that some people like live and die for her. Uh, but my God, she has just become such a standout. She's so damn cool. She's so cool. So let's talk Mm -hmm. about that. That's something I wanted to bring up for the conversation. This I really like as well. What we're seeing from Jerry Duggan and how he um, has been developing Kate as a character over the last 16 Mm -hmm. issues. And I thought it was very interesting that he made her like very clearly the less mature of the two with Mm -hmm. her and Emma, right? While Emma was all poise in class, Kate, you know, was spitting whiskey into the fire and doing a Lockheed impersonation Mm -hmm. and, you know, kicking him in the balls and, you know, brought along an (laughs) eye patch. (laughs) Yes. And it's interesting because, like, yes, Kate is a younger character, mm-hmm. but we've seen her, another character who has been written very differently over the years by different writers. We just came off a long run of X-Men Gold before the Hoxpox mm-hmm. era began, where Mark Guggenheim had a much more mature Kate, like a Kate who was clearly supposed to be like early 30s career woman with the short haircut. You know, she was the adult in charge. You know, she was kind of re evaluating her life was she going to get married before she got too old like this was a a very different Kate than we'd seen otherwise um, in different eras and now in some ways it feels a little off 
even though it's probably more accurate to bring her down maturity wise, because she has been the one of the most mature characters written as one of the most mature characters in X-Men for a good number of years now before the dawn of X. I think I have an answer for that. Like, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I have a, I have a lot of thoughts on that. I, I'll say I, I don't have I only have one answer. So let me I'll say it and then you say all your. OK, thoughts. go for it. <laughs> I, I would say since Kate, obviously she died. And I feel like a lot of people that die on Krakoa, they come back, come like more renewed and fresh and like like a second lease on life. They're like, oh, I'm back. I can, you know, you know, I, I can't die. You know, I'm going to be more free, more free minded. And also she just came out as like, not to everybody, I guess. I don't know if everybody knows, but like she just came out to herself basically is that she is sexual and she's, you know, okay with being like that and just kissed a random stranger. And is like, I'm this new person, especially with a lot of gay people. I feel mm-hmm. like when you come into your own when you finally accept what you've been feeling you're like feel like a new person you know and you're kind of like being like oh this is me now I'm finally myself now you have to kind of age into that new person that you are no matter what kind of you are I mean I feel like you could be even even 50 and if you're truly discovering or being accepting of who you are you're kind of aging in that process as well as like you're a young person because the way you are in that moment you're young and not older as you are Mm -hmm. I feel like that makes sense (laughs) yeah yeah well and and for me it goes back to when she was first brought on as Kitty Pride, she was young and fun and energetic. And then they made this giant jump to, okay, now she's 30 and oh, she's so worried about marriage. And I'm like, oh my God, do you know how many women in their 30s do not give a fuck about getting married? Like they jumped her from being this very young, passionate, energetic uh, woman who was, you know, coming into her own and, you know, she's got powers and she's learning how to fight and she's being a superhero and you know this joyful bubbly person to this very mature not quite boring but just like they jumped the shark and they didn't show that journey to maturity so this feels like a minor reset where they're trying to connect the young bubbly you know 20 somethings to her journey now becoming slowly more mature but more importantly becoming more self-empowered you know coming out as bisexual and owning who she is and living the life she actually wants to live versus trying to live up to expectations of you know being a 30 something woman who now has to you know well what about children and what about marriage and what about oh i have to be you know career-minded and i have to look professional fuck that noise i'm a pirate (laughs) i love it pirate i'm a pirate in defense of some (laughs) of that in defense of some of that let's point out that kitty pride had been engaged a lot so always got forced she had a lot Yes, she, she, well, and some of them were literally Mm -hmm. forced. Um, But prior to Guggenheim's X-Men Gold, she actually had left the X office. Um, Let's not forget that Brian Bendis took her with him into Guardians of the Galaxy Uh post-Secret Wars. And she was being written by Bendis there and by the writer of Star-Lord and Kitty Mm -hmm. Pryde. She was in that title as well for, I want to say, at least two years before coming back into the X office with X-Men Gold as the star of that book. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I... I like her wild and free space oh, pilot. Yeah. yeah, I feel yeah, like we've seen, we've seen like Guardians, an older, yeah. ever since she left for Excalibur back in the day, right? She- 
Yeah, we've we've seen an older kitty. We've seen uh we've seen her kind of like remember when she was a kid and now she's all grown up. Like for me, I, I go back to the astonishing run. I I mean I know we didn't not everybody's cup of tea, but I love that era, especially for what it did with, with Kitty and with them too. And yeah, so we've seen like an older kitty, and I think the the myth or Kate, sorry. Call her Kate. <laughs> also, also one of my favorite panels in the whole damn book. That call her mm-hmm. Kate. Stamp. Oh my god, yes. Uh, but we've seen different versions of Kate, and, we, and we've definitely seen her older. And mm-hmm. wrapping her in all of this, you know, mystery right out of the gate. Uh, first with with the gates, right out of the gate. I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> uh, but first with with her not being able to go through the gates, and then with the resurrection thing. It's mm-hmm. just interesting. It feels like you know she's definitely a favorite in the X office and mm-hmm. they are making her just different from everybody else in any of the mm-hmm. books right now she's there's yeah. just something different about her and I agree with what you said Rod that since the resurrection and we're all saying this it's a a, a more untethered Kate you know we're, yeah. we're seeing her just kind of yeah you can you you don't die necessarily you can come back but that doesn't make it any less important to mm-hmm. value the time and and the experience of being here and being yourself you know exactly. so it, it does feel like she is like yeah I'm gonna do exactly what I'm gonna do and yeah. for readers it's just it's a gratifying thing she's always been a reader insert on some level mm-hmm. uh, whether or not that has jived with with different people like on an individual level she's you know I mean that's kind of how Claremont brought her in so she's still yeah. serving that purpose but in a different way yeah I feel like this Marauders title has cemented Kate as one of the characters alongside say Wolverine Cyclops Storm who always need to to be the lead on a book mm-hmm. like whatever's going on in the x line at least one of them needs to be the kitty yeah. book or the kate book i should say <laughs> sorry which took a while to kind of get there after obviously her being one of the most popular characters on excalibur for a long period of time her being one of the featured characters and you know whedon's favorite in the astonishing mm-hmm. run and then uh, her being given the true lead in x-men gold I-, I think this really solidifies her place in the kind of tier in the hierarchy of X characters and how important mm-hmm. they are. Yeah, I definitely yeah, agree definitely. with that. And I like how, I don't know, I think, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure Gary Dugan did this on purpose, but I like how <laughs> he made Sebastian Shaw basically try to make it seem like he did hate a favor. Right? Oh, I, completely trying to gaslight yeah, no, her. Yeah. While she's kicking yeah. him in the ball, still, still gaslighting yeah, her. That's what a lot of abusive, in a lot of abusive relationships, that's what the abuser does a lot. He's like, mm-hmm. well, they're like, either, either men or female aren't anything um could be like you know i did you a favor you know i made you stronger i made you see that you could better than yeah or stronger than me (laughs) and they're like you know i i had to had to do this for you i had to abuse you Mm -hmm. it's like no no you really didn't (laughs) but you're just trying to make yourself feel better and get the get the weight off of you so you're not like they're like oh i guess you did do me a favor like i like that's why the last page is so impactful because it's Mm -hmm. thank you for your gift sebastian k pride Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that was so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it, we would be remiss if we did not point out like how incredibly rare it is. And I mean, credit to the ex office for, you know, bringing him in to do this. Like I was not super excited about Jerry Duggan on an X book. Having only known him from Deadpool, I didn't really want that kind of book in the mm. dawn of X. And obviously he's exceeded all <laughs> of my expectations, but let's let's give credit to Jerry Duggan for being a white cishet male who is writing one of 
of the few books that features a diverse line of strong female characters with yes. agency. Yeah. 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 Credit where credit is due. It has a lot of it has a lot of LGBT people in it, women in it, and it's just like you can tell he's he's done his research, you know, or at least talked mm-hmm. to people that are also you know people of color and LGBT. He's trying to like get the little bit of lingo down or the way they they would think down instead of just being like, oh well, I think they're this, you know. You right. can tell it's not just his words or just his way of thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And it absolutely. doesn't. And, his, and it reads to me very authentic. Like it's, mm-hmm. I never feel like it's just fan service or mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like remember like the what when the Marauders were in, I think it was like in Japan or something, and they were like at a gay club. Like that's that felt fun, you know. It didn't mm-hmm. feel like okay, now you're just doing this for you know for, for whatever for shits and giggles right, to get to a like little bit of clout to check yeah. a box. You know, it's like no, you're and you're not just saying you know you're not just dropping things like you're you're actually showing it and that's i think that's kind of cool yeah that's yeah. one of the reasons why i'm looking forward to because i know we're gonna get it i'm looking forward to kate and uh and bobby discussing like kate's sexuality because you know we mm-hmm. got kate and bobby talking when she found out he was gay you know the relationship it's like why didn't you tell me we were together and all that so i'm interested to see now the shoes kind of on the other foot mm-hmm. bobby being yes. like hey so you're bisexual did you always know that <laughs> yeah. and the the great thing about this too is that you know you have the x slack because it isn't just jerry and and uh jordy white did an interview last week where you know he spoke about uh one how um important it is that the x slack is like the tightest group the the x team is the tightest group of writers he's ever seen in mm-hmm. comics where they literally read over each other's scripts and get insight from each other and are constantly feeding mm-hmm. off and so you have a a, divi- a diverse crew there where you have strong female voices and you have strong lgbt voices and you have people who can provide insight and clarify and kind of let jerry know ahead of time like if something's a little off like no 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 like mm-hmm. that's not right and uh the other thing jordan mentioned was how difficult it is to try to feature gay characters and not make them mm-hmm. perfect because he said you know there's the trope of you know burying your gays and you know and you can't you know queer mm-hmm. coding being uh, synonymous with evil characters and how difficult it was for a number of years to try to make imperfect non-heterosexual mm-hmm. characters and that this is something that this team is able to do because of the voices mm-hmm. they have and it can come across the whole line because of the way they support each other not just appear in say a leah book or mm-hmm. a Lita book absolutely that's very much appreciated very much that's oh like yes. girl said that's why one of this is one of my favorite lines is continuing one of my favorite lines i look forward to this book like i look forward to all the books because x-men mm-hmm. is great right now um but marauders when it's up this week i was like oh I'm so excited i even bought this week because i usually buy all the x-men books digital now because there's so many but mm-hmm. this i bought physical and i was like i'm so glad i did because i feel like this is a monumental issue like no first appearances happen or anything but man it was so cool to like see these pages in physical form <laughs> seeing Aiden and emma kick sebastian's ass in physical form it's the first appearance of sebastian shaw's there you go <laughs> there we go <laughs> the first appearance of the eye patch oh, which oh i hope will be a recurring gag i hope so it, well and they did they did so much with technically like just three characters he added a few mm-hmm. towards the end can but, we talk know, about the end? three characters oh my can God. we talk <laughs> about the end because the i think we have we have <laughs> there's a conversation to be had around mm-hmm. uh 
the quiet council and seeing them mm -hmm. all assembled with with both of those blurred out spots those vacant uh -huh. those vacancies mm -hmm. and then seeing them vote on uh, <laughs> uh, 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 so just like, yeah i so want to know i want to know yeah no <laughs> yeah so i also love the vote because we also got to see you know i mentioned in our group chat i was just like girl power because the way it split mm -hmm. was you know there's four females on the council right now out of 10 it was five um you know pre-x of swords it was seven male it was six male five no. <laughs> i'm gonna start this all over again pre-x of swords it was seven males four females and one mm -hmm. yeah. and so you know if we lump just for you know overly generalization purposes mystique into females that's exactly how this mm -hmm. one split like it was you know the ladies came in wheeling shy <laughs> and that that janky wheelchair as you mentioned and and mystique and me for no other reason it felt like other than to be like you know reading yes. the room and being like no 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 like these ladies get yes their exactly way. that's yeah. what i loved yeah. is that mystique's vote didn't follow mystique was the first no vote right so it was yeah. it you can read it one of two ways either her just going against the grain or exactly what you said her reading the room and being like oh i can't wait to hear this but i can wait because yeah let, let's she's like let, i'll get the tea let's later let this mess play out i'm enjoying this plenty. oh yeah mm -hmm. uh and then i love that uh that kurt was almost like surprised by his answer because he's like uh like i'd want to vote with storm but yes i gotta know what the fuck's going on <laughs> it was just great it was it was great it, it was so funny how all of the women including mystique present like could figure out real quick what happened like oh i better know what happened uh yeah no Nope. We. I'll, I'll get the this tea later on behind the scenes. Men are men yeah. Are and like, all the guys are like, what happened? I want to know what happened. It's like, dude, if you can't figure out what happened, how are you sitting on the freaking quiet council? Because you're dumber than a rock. Oh, I figure. I did face when he said, "Hell yes." Though. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, no. He's oh, already laughing. Queen, come he's on. Already laughing. He's like, I yes. can't wait to hear this shit. Yes, let's go. I want to no. see how Shaw got his ass. And, and he was eating up Shaw's shame, like, because Shaw's no vote was purely out of shame. Mm -hmm. And that Sinister's yes vote was also purely out of eating up oh, Shaw's yeah. shame. Yes. And I feel like. Um, and Nightcrawler's <laughs> no vote. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Nightcrawler's yes vote was really that, like, I probably should be saying yeah. no. Like, look baby. at all of these women who are my friends yes. saying no. Baby. But <laughs> unfortunately, I am still a man and. Therefore, dumb. Yes, so, yes. Question mark. See, that's what <laughs> I feel like. Question with mark. Xavier and Magneto. I feel like they they're 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 smart people. They're aggressive, mm. but they're smart. I feel like they get what happened, but because they're so authoritarian, they're like, <sighs> yeah. you have to, you have. This is a, the government. We have to have order. You have to mm -hmm. tell us. He's part of the council. We need to know. And then Sinister, <laughs> Sinister, and Mystique are both all of X Twitter. Are X. <laughs> They're like, yes, yes. humiliate him in front of the council. And we're also like, no, drag him, let, drag let, him. Let them get away with it. And I like the how on everybody's faces were, were just told a lot. It like conveyed yeah. a lot because even Magneto just and he just simply said yes. But there's just like a hint of a smile in the mm -hmm. shadows of his helmet, and it's like, yeah, Caselli mm -hmm. did a great job with this book. The art is is yeah, top top notch. Mm -hmm. Well, if you think about it, Magneto's probably ex like happy with this because mm -hmm. if you think of Krakoa in general, a lot of mutants are turning more like Magneto, being mm -hmm. like mute pride. We're gonna do this 
against the mutant way. You know, we're not going to take anyone's shit anymore. And that's what Magneto's been trying to do since like forever with the mutants. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, he's extremely happy with what's going on. He's like, yes, we're finally standing up for ourselves. We're not like bending over backwards and make people happy anymore. We're being our true authentic mutant selves. Mm-hmm. Magneto was right. <laughs> All right. One last go round on Marauder 16. Uh, look ahead to the future of Marauders. Uh, so coming out of this issue and with what we know uh, based on, you know, that final conversation that we saw Emma have dictating the terms to Shaw and uh, them going into the Quiet Council meeting. What are you excited for moving forward with this book? Raven? Honestly, I am excited (laughs) and I can't even believe I'm saying this. I'm excited to seeing the behind the scenes politics, especially of the Quiet Council and seeing how that interplays. I know that there's going to be, of course, action adventure. There always is. But I so want to see some of the behind the scenes Quiet Council and how that how that sits with everyone, how that gets set up, you know, how that interacts and what kind of tension it builds. Because, yeah, you've got Charles and Exodus and some of them who have that very authoritarian side that they want to know they have to follow rules and, you know, it, it all needs to be square. And then you have the others who are like, yeah, no, there needs to be a little bit of pride in oneself and you need to be able to stick up for yourself. So I want to see how that kind of starts to play. We also learned in this issue that Emma has been super oh politicking. God, yeah. Like we knew that she was politicking, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily know that we saw it to this extent. Like where she laid out exactly, here's how they would respond. And so, you know, these are the options and this is what we're going to do to get around mm-hmm. that. Um, even going as far to kind of make it clear that she's been holding up the resurrection mm-hmm. of her sister. Oh. She's been using that quiet council power to keep them at the bottom of the resurrection <laughs> yeah. list. Um, which was which hilarious. Is that was damning use of that power like yeah it's funny but also like brings up some huge ethical questions if kate is a cannon emma is a sniper shot she knows what she's doing she's uh, a oh, no, uh, yeah emma's she's a, a scalp. Oh, Emma's a scalpel. Yeah, the, the the classic has always been Jean's a sledgehammer and Emma's mm-hmm. a scalpel. Yeah. yeah, I'm so excited for this book. Like, I want to see more. I, I just want all of the Hellfire. Like, I want to yes. see. I want to see who else fills what other roles. Uh, mm-hmm. I need to see about 300 percent more Bishop or Red mm-hmm. Bishop. I need mm-hmm. to see a whole lot more of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of Bishop, I know he was. You know, he was name check in the data pages back. I thought was like X Men number ten, mm-hmm. the one with Magneto and turning the magma into iron and, and fighting off the, the empire crossover they mentioned bishop as running like a like a battle academy so i need to see that Ooh, come that to life at some point yeah. in 2021 more red bishop i want to see more of the black i guess they're the black knights the fenris twins our favorite little fascist uh incest, incest twins, twins. <laughs> yep i'd like to see fenris fight uh north star and aurora Man. oh yeah yeah that'd be yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's. I just think there's. There's so much to look forward to here, and I think it's. It's this issue kind of closes a big arc that we've been running since the beginning of, of Marauders. Mm-hmm. It's still open. Like there's still. We still need to really see what happens next with Shop. But I feel mm-hmm. like this is a nice way to to bring some things to resolution, and yeah. I'm looking forward to 
having yes. more problems to solve. Yeah. And Sebastian Shaw got a full issue of himself. <laughs> I want to say it was Marauders 3. After we got two issues, two hilarious opening issues of this series that revolved entirely around <laughs> Kate. Um, and then we took a hard left and we got an issue purely devoted to Shaw's machinations. Um, and issue 16 here definitely felt like the end of that arc and the resolution to what started in Marauders number three. Yeah. Rod, what are you excited for? Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited and scared. I'm scared of what Shaw's going to do after because he, like you said, he does have the twins and he does have his son who technically hates him, but is still his father. So maybe some allegiance is there. And I'm excited to see, like, I'm excited to see more Bishop and Iceman that hopefully that we get because they have teamed up before a a lot and we haven't really seen them team up that much. Like one time when they were like trying to find culprit that killed Kate. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm just excited to see more of them because we've seen a lot of Emma and Kate and Storm. I'm very grateful for that. But I'm I'm excited to see more of the other side, the male mm-hmm. perspective on this of the Marauders pirate ship, you know, team dynamic. Because I like the team up of Iceman and Bishop. They had their little team up in an uh, Iceman solo a few years back, and I feel like they have like a, a little give and take relationship. And I'm excited to see more of what Gary Dugan will do with that. And Rod, you touched on what I'm most excited for moving ahead, which is my favorite bisexual, always new drama queen, Shinobi Shaw. He is one of my trash children, <laughs> and I love him. I didn't know he was bisexual. And you're absolutely right. Like he he has this great love hate with his father. And when I was taken off page immediately, like I I was just delighted when Emma said that she was taking control of the Black Bishop. Immediately I was like, yes, because <laughs> Shinobi is going to be so much happier working for her. And, you know, like there were some weird interact, like they've got history. Don't get me wrong. Um, I mean, even Emma was there and kind of involved with his death in the Rosencanny run. But I feel like the just the pride parade that is the red and white sides of Hellfire right now, Shinobi is going to be so much happier there. And I am looking forward to a happy Shinobi in with the rest mm-hmm. of that. Definitely. Oh, and I'm looking forward to Kate and Bobby talking about the sexuality. I already talked about that, but I'm really, I'm really excited to see oh, the yeah. conversation because I think it's going to be good. I got a quick question for you guys. We've got some vacancies on the, on the Quiet Council Mm-hmm. And like Emma, I have some favorites. I'd like to hear if you guys have any any picks for, for the council seats. I am still firmly of the position that the open seat should be filled by some of the new mutants coming in from Morocco. Because now that uh, Arako and Krakoa are going to be kind of uh, joined or at least a lot closer to each other, um, the politics are going to affect them. So to cut them completely out of the process would be wildly unethical and it would not set up a good relationship between the two so bringing in a couple of people would still be highly manageable um, but would also help to start integrating a whole new set of mutants or at least a whole new population and seeing how they interact with each other i would like to see like you said raven and Arakoa on the i would like to see at least one with xavier magneto but then i would like to see monette with storm and crawler on that side yeah my pick for for that side yeah I've got Monet, Rogue, and Callisto are my top three mm. uh, picks for, mm. for that yeah. side. I think it's, I, I don't know, was it you, Josh? Somebody brought up Callisto as, uh, and, and I. Yes, Callisto is my number one. So I, I forgot that I even got Callisto. that from you. I'm sorry, I just stole your answer. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> 
Callisto's my number one. And well, you guys said all my answers. Like you guys honestly did. You talked about all my answers. Callisto's my number one. Um, I would love, especially as we start seeing the development of X Corp, I would love yeah. to see Monet as the X Corp representative on the council. And unfortunately, since there's only two seats, since Shaw is not in um, acting as Victor's pillow, <laughs> <laughs> I would I would like Iska to be on oh, there as the representative yes, from Iska. Um, yeah, Iska, from Araco. But that's that's three people for two spots. So I don't. Iska would make a, Iska would make a really good um, power dynamic with Xavier and Magneto. I feel like because you're both you're taking the place of Apocalypse, so you have to be mm-hmm. quite powerful. And Iska is quite powerful, and she would definitely be more rational because you know she always has to win. So she's looking mm-hmm. to win for Krakoa now. Mm-hmm. So. Iska would also be great stand in for the Crucible too if she yeah. if she really steps oh. into the Apocalypse. Oh, Iska's got to be. If you put anyone else there, you're just wrong. This has got to be in the crucible. And they need to have Bay come in every now and again and sit with Doug and like, oh, God, I want to see that relationship so bad. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, mm-hmm. shout out to Doug for looking freaking adorable on that last page. Right. Doug having right. like the best hair day ever. Oh he God. just he looks great and little you know silent supporting. He's getting glowing. <laughs> he looks like he woke up on the right side of the bed. Hey, it's Jonah. Hey, it's Nathan. And hey, it's Nico. And we're back. We hope you guys loved that Marauder segment because, my God, it was so much fun to edit. But now we're going to talk about, well, the three of us talking about a book that we maybe haven't loved every page of, but it's been kind of exciting to see it transform. And it's, it's kind of fascinating because it's an old school character, Juggernaut, and a new school character, D-Cell, wrapped up in an old school writer with a new school artist with Fabian Nicieza and Ron Garney. And this segment was enormously fun to record, so we hope it's just as much fun for you guys to listen back to. So here for you now is our coverage of Juggernaut number four with a recap of the first three issues along with it. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey everybody, it's Nathan. You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at Dazzler AOA. That's Dazzler AOA. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. And we hope you survive this experience, unlike Quicksand's head. Oh. Yeah, so, okay. Now, when you think about the X Men, certain things come to mind. You know what I mean? You think about the diametric opposites that Xavier and Magneto represent. You think about the ways in which Wolverine and Sabretooth will always be locked in eternal, you know, catfight. And, you know, maybe you even think about things like the Brotherhood versus the X-Men. Maybe you think about, you know, Apocalypse versus Cable, right? Some really major versus like, like, you know, like it's versus and it's Ashanti pulling out of fighting Keisha Cole because of COVID. <laughs> oh. It's maybe any of those things to you, right? But you know who frequently gets the shaft in that? That would be one Mr. Kane Marco. And I don't think it's because the Juggernaut isn't an interesting character. But when you think about what the Juggernaut represents, he's just brute force in comparison to Xavier's mental ability. And then he's kind of a loner who's into violence as opposed to Xavier's groups can be peaceful together mentality 
and Xavier was born different, and Juggernaut was so desperate to be different and better that he found a way to become different, right? Mm. So in so many ways, Juggernaut really is the exact opposite of Xavier, the way like he should be, but he never really rises to the top. Now, Juggernaut kind of hits on a lot of my kind of like, ooh, kind of things where he's like, there's a body transformation element, there's a dark god element, there's a need to prove himself that he'll never accomplish. Because like I don't root for Juggernaut so much as like I enjoy watching Juggernaut struggle, if that makes any sense. Like he's not a real person. I don't enjoy human suffering. But this guy also has leveled buildings. So it's kind of a different class, right? I too love watching large muscular men struggle. Yeah, yeah. it's great. It's great. It really is. I, I definitely have a, a playlist uh, like that on a certain website. So <laughs> I... Before we even get into what we're here to discuss today, which is Juggernaut Number 4 by Fabian Nicieza with art by the incredible Ron Garney. I would buy this book for Ron Garney's fucking art alone with colors by Matt Mila. I want to know, before we go any further, Jonah, where do you stand on Juggernaut? Like, I know we talked about issues one and two a couple of weeks ago. Outside of just like, oh, he's the Juggernaut. Where do you stand on Kane Marco and his giant dome helmet head? Well, if he asked me to step on him, I probably would, just to, mm-hmm. you know, appease him. But <laughs> uh, aside from that, I really enjoyed his first iteration when I saw... Well, not his first iteration, but when I first met him, where he was boyfriends with uh, Black Tom, and he was uh, terrorizing yeah. the X-Men in the Cassidy Keep, where Sean was nowhere to be seen in that entire issue, even though it was his castle. Great Nightcrawler star of that arc somehow. It's amazing. Yeah. Early X-Men, it's always about Nightcrawler and Storm. Don't even ask. <laughs> and Wolverine, and yeah. Sean is just not there until they write him off to go be with Moira, who he's not with now. I... But I... This comic and everything I've read, because I've read all of uh, all the issues, one, two, four, and I'm still not sold. I guess I think it's interesting that he's not, it, it was revealed that he's not a mutant, but rather the avatar of this evil god, Sidorak, and he was a champion. That's where he got his powers from. And I was like, okay, I can kind of buy it. That kind of can be cool. But everything else about Kane Marco never really appeals to me because I don't think they ever really had a direction for him. I think the only stories that I would ever be really excited to read is him and Sammy the Fish Boy. <laughs> you know, it's we bring up the Chuck Austin run a lot as an example of two things. Oh God, oh no, don't do that. And also, Sammy the Fish Boy. Those Yay. are the two things you can talk about when you talk about the Chuck Austin run. So I really do agree with you that that, that is worth reading for that. Yeah. But outside of that, a... He feels like a directionless character that doesn't really stand out among the X-Men villains, X-Men heroes, or X-Men anti-heroes, or just X-Men characters. He's just kind of floating by, and I don't understand what exactly they're trying to do with his story. Now, Nathan, I'm going to assume that in, you know, your vaunted reading of, you know, all things X, right? For so many of us, the alphabet starts at X and kind of ends (laughs) at X, right? I also throw in some double Ds in the middle, but like, you know, it's it's a lot of X-Men for a lot of us. And, you know, Nathan, I know you have like holes in your reading, but I have to imagine you've read like something like a hundred issues of Juggernaut at this point. Oh, yeah. And Knowing that you read a lot of X-adjacent, I imagine you maybe have come into contact with some of his run-ins with other heroes and other villains. How do you interact with Juggernaut 
What is Cain Marco to you, other than, you know, an on-the-nose biblical name? Uh, right. And, and nowadays it's hard to get, it's like easy to get confused because now there's one star Kane Marco. So I'm like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> but, um, I, Juggernaut really outside of the X Men, I, I love seeing him interact with Spider Man. It's probably the most fun in the X Men. Uh, I, I have to say that that one issue where he gets in a bar fight with Colossus, like right when he breaks up with Kitty Pride and what, oh, like, right, right after yeah. Secret Wars. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah, and Wolverine just like uh, fuck it, let him die or whatever. But like that probably like like the like pit like not an ultimate, but that's like my like iconic representation of Kane. So like to me, that's what I always go back to when I see Juggernaut. I'm like, oh wait. Also, you know, I kind of want him to like actually like officially be boyfriends with uh you know Black Tom at some point, but maybe that's just me. You know, uh, I'm gonna be real. Like I've I've got I've often gone on record as saying that I'm not the biggest. Okay. Hear me out. I think that if you see two heterosexual characters be friends and you're automatically like, ship them! <laughs> something wrong with you, right? Like, platonic love is powerful and beautiful, and to always say every dynamic relationship must immediately result in a sexuality erases our ace, our ace family from the queer yeah, spectrum. True. And it's pretty fucked up. But there's something about the fact that Juggernaut is like, oh no, Black Tom, you fell into the ocean, I'm coming! <laughs> like, that is pretty gay, right? Yeah. So I'm with you on that. I really do see their romance. And, you know, for me, it's so funny because X-Men have two kinds of big guy, right? Now, like, the Avengers have different kinds of big guys. Thanos is his own thing. Let's just not even fucking go there. Oh, yeah. Red Hulk is his own thing. Let's not even go there. <sighs> but, like, the X-Men have two kinds of big guy, right? They have Guido, strong guy, who is just like, which I always want to call him, I know he's Guido Caracella, but I always go to call him Guido Spirelli, which in case you don't know who Guido Spirelli is, he is the twice ever mentioned first husband of Sofia Petrillo from Italy, which she has to have annulled so she can come to America. Oh. So it's like, so dumb of me. <laughs> so fucking dumb of me. Because, you know, that's that's to get your picture taken with a Guido booth at the World's Fair. Like, that's, that's the <laughs> place my head goes. But, you know, you've got Guido, who is high fun, high, you know, flying. He has a great time. He's just like professional himbo in the best way and yeah. you know the x-men have a handful of those but most powerhouses on the x-men are eternally sad right yeah. like colossus oh my god always sad. and you know warpath who is big jacked beautiful always sad because of life right yep. a lot of the x-men's you know captain britain he's either i'm having a great time what do, 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 do i'm a blonde drunk or <laughs> he's like <sighs> The weight of being a white man today. <laughs> so there's really only two settings on big guys in the X-Men. Yep. And for the most part, Juggernaut falls into that second category. Professional yep. sad boy, right? Yep. My favorite Juggernaut stories are... Okay, I'm a huge new Excalibur defender, so I won't hear anybody shit on it, right? Oh my god, yes! Oh. I'm such a big new Excalibur fan, and I know Dazzler and Juggernaut have a history, so the fact that they were able to coexist at that point was really cool, right? Oh, and, and his relationship with TJ? Oh my god. Right? Uh, and Pete now, Wisdom, I mean, come on. But. Oh my god, Pete Wisdom is everything. <laughs> yeah. Now, the other thing I go to is Mike Carey's Legacy, where X-Men Legacy has an issue where Kane and Xavier kind of have a 
uh, a bar fight of sorts. And yeah. it's such an important developmental thing because you see that no matter how hard he works to become a hero, he's kind of always going to be held in place by the fact that Xavier's like, but yeah, you beat me up as a kid. Mm-hmm. And like in so many ways, because Xavier is the eyes through which we see the X-Men, he will always be put back into that position of villain. Which is why I think in many ways this miniseries does and doesn't work, right? This miniseries kicked things off with issue number one, where essentially they established just that Juggernaut is a member of Damage Control now, and he meets this young, powerful woman, D-Cell, who is not a mutant, she'll have you know. And, okay, I liked it. It's engaging. Uh, I want to know more where it's going to go. And then we get the second issue, which pits Juggernaut against the Hulk. Okay, that that kind of feels like a that kind of feels like a 1976. You asked for it. You knew it was coming. Juggernaut versus the Hulk. Nuff said. And I feel like I could probably find 30 books where that's the solicit. Yeah. Then we had the third issue, which you know, <sighs> Quicksand is such a footnote in the Marvel universe. I really appreciated it when in the coverage of Juggernaut number three that Arturo was so like, oh my god, Quicksand, right? Like <laughs> it was awesome that he was excited. But I'm kind of like. It's a pretty generic Spider-Man villain for you, right? And then the fourth issue brings in Arnim Zola. Uh. So, okay, we have damage control, not really an X-Men thing. We have Hulk, not really an X-Men thing. We have Quicksand, not really an X-Men thing. And then we have Arnim Zola, not really an X-Men thing. For a book that's supposed to be about what an X-Villain is doing when he's not with the X-Men, we're getting a lot of nothing to do with the X-Men. All that said, in discussing it with Jonah, I feel like you had a really good point, right, Jonah? You said you kind of can't figure out why this book. Just like, why? Why this book? Well, this is something that we brought up kind of turning over New Leaf stories that they're giving these characters. And I always ask the question, well, what makes this unique? What makes your story not only better than every other iteration of this told before, but what makes it unique? What what makes this special? What are you trying to tell me? And how are you going to make this different so that it lasts and is memorable? And this is something that we talk about over on, well, we're not covering Marauders here, but it's something that you guys, you know, brought to my attention about Kitty Pride. If Kitty Pride is constantly growing up and she's constantly trying to be an adult, what is the point if it's every single story is Kitty slash Kate is becoming an adult? Is every single story going to be Kane becoming, trying to be good? You know, I, while I do like D-Cell, I don't think D-Cell really gives anything new to the, this trope of a young, almost not so innocent girl who shows the error of his ways to make him good. I don't, it's also, I, I just need to know, does she have an obsession with not being a mutant? Is she afraid that she's a mutant? And because of what happens to mutants, it, it's brought up way too much. It's so well, weird. I, it's so I actually weird. think it's going somewhere. There was something in particular at the end of issue four, not to jump the gun a little bit, but issue four sees Kane Marco face off against, well, Arnim Zola. And Zola's like, ah, yes, I am a Nazi, so I just want to experiment on people. That's what Nazis do. They get their asses kicked and also long for blood samples. And 
it was really interesting that he was like, I'm going to prove you're a mutant. And she was like, no. And he was like, ah, I used to have to make it really difficult. I mean, Cerebro can do it in 10 seconds. So I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. That Hmm. testing for mutancy is so complicated, but he's like, no, I can do it with a simple blood sample, little girl. And she's like, I don't want to be a mutant. Don't let them take me. I'm pretty sure that she's scared that if she's identified as a mutant, she'll have to live on Krakoa. Oh. I think in so many ways that Juggernaut is meant to represent this sort of parallel desire. Juggernaut is like, I want to be good. I want to be liked. You know, in the words of, you know, (laughs) in the words of another guy who just can't seem to turn over a new leaf and become a good guy. John Mayer once said, you know. I just want to be liked. I just want to be funny. And it looks like the joke's on me. So it's kind of like Juggernaut is like, I just want to be on Krakoa. I want to be safe. I want to be a good guy. If I'm there with all the other villains that are getting a a fresh start, maybe I can have that fresh start. I mean, Juggernaut's been a good guy more than he's been a bad guy in the last 20 years. So I think there's a hope for him that Krakoa could represent that final breakthrough, that final, this is it. You know, for so many people trying to get past abuse, which Juggernaut is a victim of, Juggernaut was mercilessly abused by his father, right? Mm-hmm. Who was Xavier's stepfather and, you know, struggles with power. If you think of Sidorak as a drug, he is struggling with addiction as a result of his violent upbringing. And for many people in therapy, it takes six breakthroughs, nine breakthroughs, 10 realizations that you're stronger than drugs to become stronger than drugs, right? I think he's looking for that nth breakthrough and where he'll finally be free. He'll finally be healthy. And D-Cell represents the opposite of that. She kind of does represent an Xavier born into it, all this power, but she's not a mutant. Please don't make her be a mutant. Right. And, you know, that might maybe you could say there's something self-hating about it, but I don't think it's self-hating. I think she's afraid if she's a mutant, she's at risk. And that's sort of where I think Juggernaut maybe is going a little bit off the rails in trying to give us a week to week story. Right. And trying to give us, oh, look, it starts with Juggernaut in the middle of damage control repair. And then it starts in the middle of Juggernaut fighting the Hulk. And then it starts in the middle of quicksand. And then it starts in the middle of the Arnim Zola thing. In an attempt to keep the story moving and fill that 22 pages, really make it worth that $3.99. They're kind of, as a team, and by as a team, I don't just mean Fabian Nicieza, but the editing, the writing, it feels in so many ways like they're forgetting that we also want character development outside mm. of, look what happened to Kane. Uh, my biggest like probably complaint with a book is along the lines of character development like uh, I, I don't know I kind of wanted I kind of expected that we were going to get the story of like you know like all the stuff that we are getting is you know like just a little side tidbit like you know his escape from limbo like how he actually got the bands like that should have been the main story to me and that's kind of what I was looking forward to and what I wanted but instead we're getting this other story now Jonah I know that you came into reading regularly at Hoxpox number one. There was a roughly like 20, 25 issue run, whether you count the annual or not, whatever, that preceded it directly, right? It kicked off with 10 issues known as X-Men Disassembled, written by a team, which led into the Age of X-Men. Then there was an annual and like the remaining 10 or 12 issues of that run 
was kind of like the X-Men on a kill spree. Like, it was literally the X-Men kill all of their villains. Oh, and also a bunch of X-Men get murdered and executed. Oh, no. And what's really fascinating about it is it felt like Matthew Rosenberg, who took over the book for those 10 or 12 issues, which were affectionately known as Rosencanny, right? It felt like Matthew Rosenberg was working hard to undo the events of Inhumans vs. X-Men, which was sort of universally panned and was trying to create a new status quo that was really the old status quo again. This resulted in Scott just coming back from the dead. They killed him for no reason, so he's just back. Hmm. And Scott and Gene are back together. Why? Because we're out of new ideas, I guess. And this almost seeks to undo that period of time, right? So I agree with you, Nathan. I think I would have rather seen this told as a backup and a main story. Give me that main story with D-Cell. Give me that main story versus Hulk. Give me that main story versus Quicksand and Arnhem. But give me a backup story where you linearly, linearly tell how he became this new version of Juggernaut. Because this whole idea that he's no longer beholden to Sidorak, and instead now wields the crimson bands in a magic suit, it's very Doctor Strange meets Iron Man wrapped around the Juggernaut. It kind of removes me from the experience in a lot of ways, right? Does it make a difference to either of you that his powers are now different? Or do you guys kind of feel like that's just like a canonist thing? Uh, it, even though they're supposed to be different, they really don't seem to be different. So I, I think it's just more of a canonist thing because it, it really, like everything we've seen him do, like maybe he's not as strong or maybe he's not as immovable, but like not immovable, but maybe like he's not as unstoppable, but like he still seems like he's all of those things we expect him to be. Jonah, knowing that his powers are now quote unquote different and the source of his powers has changed and he is a different man now, does this feel like Juggernaut has new powers, or is this just more of the same wrapped up in a different explanation? I have to go with the latter, because it's not different. He's still super strong and invulnerable, and got all these strength, the strength, and he's humongous, and got these bulging muscles. And it's not any different than when we thought he was a mutant, which he was super strong, invulnerable, had a cool suit, oh, cool-ish suit, <laughs> and had these bulging muscles, and was humongous. I don't see you, if you put a new paint over something, it's still the same thing. You just made it a different color. True. And I got to be honest, it's, it maybe is just that I think Ron Garney is one of the most talented pencilers, like in the history of Marvel, whether it's his stunning daredevil run or some of the incredible work he did with Jason Aaron over in the pages of Wolverine. Ron Garney is someone who, for my, my money, really does pack so much art into a single page that it's worth every penny. And the complement of the colors here, right? Give it up for colorists. The, uh, the colors by Mila are just so extraordinary in their exploration of what the book is trying to tell us. You know, those dynamic shifts when they're in the realm of Sidorak, right? It's a very different experience than when they're fighting back in the real world. I do agree that I think in a lot of ways what Fabian Nicieza is seeking to do here 
is maybe, and this is a weird thing to say, but repersonalize Juggernaut to his experience. Mm-hmm. I know that we're getting that upcoming, you know, I can't keep calling it anything but X-Men Legends. I know it has a title, but that book we're getting that's going to be all of the old writers from before Hawks Pox who never got to finish their stories because other people came in and sort of railroaded them off are going to come back and tell their stories now because Hawks Pox allows you to resurrect everybody. And I, we've talked about it on the show before that the 90s were kind of the land of the miniseries. The, li- the 90s were sort of like, oh, you get a book and you get a book, yeah. right? And everybody kind of had a, a little one-off or a, a one-shot or whatever, right? But this really does feel sort of like a relic. Uh, you brought up the Sammy Pare Uncanny X-Men circa 410 to 443 era of Uncanny, which segued over into Chuck Austin's X-Men, from I think it's 156 to 164, I think, right? Mm. And in that time, you saw every page of Sammy Pare that ever existed. He also had a few appearances over in X-Men Unlimited. But this feels like a that. This feels like it shouldn't be D-Cell. It should be Sammy. And this could go in that era without blinking an eye. So I really do get what you mean when you say that, like, you know, you're not that interested in all of Juggernaut's stories, but yeah, you know, this really does feel like a relic of another time. I don't resent it, but I don't think it was necessary. Do you guys feel that this miniseries, outside of the changes it's making to Juggernaut, outside of introducing D-Cell, do you guys think it was necessary to return to this sort of kind of stunted developmental format? I don't know if it was necessary, but I, I, I tell you though, like I would have paid the three ninety nine just to see Juggernaut like fight the snot monster. Um, especially like the one page where he's like loosh in it. I'm like, yeah, okay, it may not be necessary, but I needed to see that. So for you, it's the fun outweighs the you know, for lack of a better term, sort of retro irrelevance. Ah, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely on that for me, totally. <laughs> now, Jojo, I know that for you, this is definitely. Kind of your first foray into the kind of unnecessary miniseries format. Hoxpox has done a lot to really streamline things. I would say the only truly unnecessary miniseries in all of Hoxpox so far was X-Men Fantastic Four. How do you feel about being asked to read essentially another X-Men Fantastic Four, but without any X-Men about (laughs) Juggernaut? (laughs) Well... Great question. That is a question <laughs> that you just asked me. Words did come out of your mouth, and they were recorded, and uh, they did form a sentence. <laughs> that being said, I I am fine with Juggernaut stories, and I would be interested to see more about the character. But it goes back to what I said before, in that I don't understand why this is the narrative they wanted to tell. Because this is a narrative that Kane has already been through. This is a song and dance he's already done. He knows the steps. He knows the waltz. He's going to get first place in the competition. But it's nothing new. It's stuff that he's already gone through. And I don't... I'd rather read stories of characters with a fresh perspective than to read stories that have the exact same iterations of things that they've already done. I don't... Like, if you're going to... Like, let's say 
Jean becomes a dark phoenix again. Argument's sake, and I'm just throwing this out as an argument. Oh no, I'm sure it's going to happen. Someone's going to be sure of it. Um, Jean becomes the dark phoenix again and starts trying to eat planets again. I'm going to be weirded out because we already did that. We don't need to tell it again. Um, Nom nom Omicron 13. (laughs) Broccoli people! Yeah. And, you know, it's to the, that extent, and that, you know, it's going to bounce right back to something we were talking about before. I would have sooner enjoyed this about Black Tom. Yeah. I yeah. would have much rather Black Tom going off of Krakoa to try and repair things he's done in the real world, right? And seeing that development, because that's something that occurred to me a couple of days ago when I was looking back on X of Swords and Crossing of Swords, Ten of Swords, Kacha of Swords, whatever you want to call it, I was really sort of fuck-stunned by the number of characters that had been getting all of that build-up that barely or never appeared. How much of early Marauders was Bishop, Pyro, and Iceman getting development, and then they really stopped appearing? How much of early X-Force was the development of Black Tom, and then he just stopped appearing? How much of early Excalibur explored Rogue and Gambit and their evolution, and then they hadn't, even though it was directly related to Apocalypse, they had nothing to do with Ten of Swords. So I feel like in a world where we're starting to really develop these characters that haven't either seen growth in a really long time or are stepping into new iterations, I would probably rather see them get a little bit more stage time. It's not that I think this miniseries isn't worth it, but all said and done, this miniseries is going to have been five three ninety nine issues. This miniseries is going to have cost $20, right? If you're asking me if this was a $20 story, I'm going to have to say no. Yeah. No. I don't really believe that this earned my $20 bill. I feel like you probably could have told the same thing in three issues and I would have been just as content. I probably even would have been fine with three $4.99 issues if they were a little bit longer each. Yeah, you could sell me on that. But there is something that just doesn't really come across because, I don't know, I think Cell is the star of the show. I think the things Hulk said in the second issue about anything you want to say about me, you can say about Juggernaut and worse, was kind of the star of the show. And, you know, when you bring up an obscure villain like Quicksand, when you bring up somebody like, oh, shit, I got to think about that kind of character like Quicksand, (laughs) that becomes the star of the show. It's not that this was a waste of my time or a waste of my money, but I don't feel a fulfillment that is the proper promise of this story. Because I can also get my Juggernaut over in Savage Avengers. Mm -hmm. I can also get Xavier mistreating people over in Fantastic Four. Like, the things I'm getting from this aren't so much unique to this as they are kind of called together here. And, you know, at four or five issues, I'm giving this miniseries a B-. It's not an F, right? If for no other reason, the art would keep it at a C alone. Because the art's an A+. The art could keep this book at a C alone. But whether it's maybe too much continuity or yet at the same time too random a continuity, I don't know. The thing I do love the most was a crazy dude finding a way to keep the Sidorak Crimson Bands 
in this reality, properly bonded, and that that's what's powering the suit. Like I know we said earlier, it's kind of a canonist thing, but let's be real, I'm kind of a canonist. So for my sake, yeah, that's prob- that and D-Cell are probably the best parts of this book four out of five issues in. Do you guys have a favorite thing so far, whether it's you know in issues one, two, three, oh, or the joke about uh, what damage control couldn't spring for Mount Sinai? That was a baller <laughs> joke. Right. If you're from the New York area, that joke killed. Right. So because ugh, Bellevue. So do you guys have a favorite thing four out of five issues in? Uh, I would just say like my favorite thing is kind of like what I enjoy about Savage Avengers is just when it goes really stupid and it gives you like but in Juggernaut it's not as constant and it's not as often. I really like the like the big stupid flashy fight, but we don't get enough of those. Yeah, I agree. They're sort of mixed in too much with the backstory that we were saying we think would maybe thrive a little bit better in a B story. Yep. Jonah, you know, you've definitely been probably the most vocal critic without ever being, you know, you're not punching down. You're not calling this the stupidest book you've ever read or anything, but you've been a pretty vocal critic. Is there anything that has carried you through the 88 pages we've read so far? Uh, the thing has a name and her name is D-Cell. I think D-Cell is the only good thing that's come out of this, but I don't know if I appreciate the role they're putting her in because I feel like the character would be better suited for a different story. Nowhere I think D-Cell would work really well, and I've never even read the series or seen the TV show, Runaways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she would be a great runaway or The Champions, Young Avengers, all of these sort of books where teen angst and uh, desire to be your own hero without you know necessarily conforming to the needs of a bigger team. I think that's a really good read. She is such an out-of-place character in this book because of what she offers in terms of potentiality that I definitely see where you're coming from with that. So my question then becomes, what are you guys hoping from the final issue? We have 22 pages left of this 110-page Juggernaut story. So far, I like our new character. She cool. I like the new reason for Juggernaut's powers, but I don't really know that I've gotten much else. I think I would like it if she is revealed to be a mutant. And she says, the only way I come live on Krakoa is if you bring Juggernaut with me. And that Black Tom is able to talk to Krakoa and make it happen. Like, that would be the only real resolution where I feel like, oh, okay, we started, we started, you know, we started at the bottom and now we're here, right? Like, I could live with that. Is there anything you guys are hoping to get out of that last 22 that might either save balance or redevelop this story in a way that you appreciate uh kind of along the same lines as what you're looking for like um definitely i I want the the resolution to the d-cell situation with her being a mutant i kind of want like a a point where like juggernaut like gets to like kind of like maybe like bitch slap xavier a little bit because he he always deserves it but um i'd really love to see another confrontation between confrontation conversation between xavier and juggernaut until you said bitch slap Xavier, I hadn't even thought of this, but wow, now they both live inside a helmet to protect themselves. <laughs> yes. Here's wow. what I here's what I need. I need the villain of this book to be revealed to be Cassandra Nova and for Kane to have to deal with that Xavier twin. Ooh. You know, I don't think Juggy and Cassie have ever had a punchy punch, right? 
But if you think about it, Cassie Nova is the stepsister Juggernaut never asked for. So <laughs> now I kind of need it. Holy it's, that's, shit, that's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's one fucked up extended family. I would not enjoy that Christmas Eve dinner. And I feel like if it was like a really Italian family, people would just start throwing fish, right? Because <laughs> Italian families do that. Like, what is it, Jojo? It's seven fish course. It's yeah, seven, seven, seven courses of fish and there's I, a fish head i literally can't eat a single course of fish like i hate fish i can't do shrimp i can't do shellfish none of it's for me so the idea of like on your favorite day of holidayisms you get to eat all of this like i just <laughs> throw bold of you to assume that any italian who actually does the seven fish tradition would actually waste any of the seven fish oh do they is it like actually like do, i i just don't get fish i guess but, you know, it's been a lot of fun talking about Juggernaut. It's been a Wait, lot can of... I, can I oh, give yeah. a, a real answer as to what I need? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a real answer. We love that. Oh, no. no that wasn't an actual answer. Um, I don't know what I'm looking for out of this. I guess I... Truthfully, and until you just said it on air, I didn't know this was only supposed to be five issues. I thought this was just going to be like another run. Be like, oh, okay, I'll just keep reading. Um, I I could not. I would literally not be able to read this as an ongoing. I would drop it. Like, truly, I would drop it at the, after five. Yeah. I don't know if there's a full way to salvage everything outside of Kane continuing to appear or make brief appearances in other X titles making amends and actually showing the steps of him trying to at least be, you know, not evil. He doesn't have to be good and he doesn't have to be on Krakoa and he doesn't have to be, you know, a hero, but just not evil. I I definitely agree that he doesn't need to be a good guy on Krakoa, but if we did all of this build up for D Cell and she doesn't stay with him, mm. I'm a freak out. Just like straight up. I need them to be together. So good guy, bad guy, red hat, blue hat I don't care, Cassie Nova at dinner or not. I just need D Cell and Juggy to stay BFF for now because it really is a humanizing factor that improves the quality of his story. It really does, and ah, oh, I, I want to see her so much more. I'm like, ah, oh, give me more D Cell, please. And that's kind of an interesting point because you know Fabian Nicieza, a guy who stepped away from the X Men in most ways, in you know essentially 2000, right? Like. Other than Cable Deadpool, Fabian Nicieza hasn't had a huge hand in shaping the world of X in a really long time. So it's kind of special that he managed to create a really dynamic, unique, progressive character who does seem to be a person of color, right? And sometimes it's hard to tell with coloration if someone doesn't say, oh, I'm black, or oh, I am of Indian descent, or oh... I am native, right? Like Native American. Like it's, if you don't say it, coloration doesn't do a lot sometimes, <laughs> right? So I do believe that she is in some way a person of color. And I think it's really progressive that Fabian Nicieza came back and told a story about a white guy nobody asked for, but still managed to be really progressive in it. Hey, it's Nathan. Hey, it's Jonah. And it's Nico, one last time. And rounding out this all-mutant episode of X's for Podcast, we have everybody's favorite knucklehead, resident Canadian, Wolverine, in a 
very like color limited title. When they announced Wolverine Black, White, and Bloody, I'll be honest, I was maybe a little bit annoyed that Wolverine was getting a second book. Jonah, I promised you this would not be Wolverine burnout season, but here we are with multiple Wolverine books. Is it too many Wolverine books for you? It is, but the only time it's it's okay is if Laura is one of those Wolverines. Oh, uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, you, uh, there's a reason I think you're so amazing and beautiful. Uh, now, Nathan, I don't know if you're picking up Wolverine Black, White, and Bloody, but have you read it or have you picked it up yet and are waiting to take a look? I don't know about the coverage in that yet, but the coverage is making me really want to. So, You I know, I completely agree. Evelyn, when I said to her, hey, Ev, you want to cover this book? She was like, oh, sure, I'll check it out. And she was fucking blown away by the art. So I knew this was the right team to cover it. Coming up next, we have Evelyn, Kyle, Maddie, and Robbie all taking a look at the Snickter himself in his first post-Hoxpox miniseries, Wolverine Black, White, and Bloody Number 1, featuring a cavalcade of brilliant artists and writers across the title. We hope you guys enjoy this segment. Hey everyone, and welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Evelyn, the Comic Canary. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at comic underscore canary. We are also joined by... Uh, this is Kyle, and you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. Hey guys, it's Maddie, and you can find me as always over on Instagram at at the basely covetous man. Hey everyone, I am Robbie, and you can find me at Age of Polaris on Twitter. So today... Today, we are going to be covering Wolverine, Black, White, and Blood. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Basically. This is, <laughs> this is the most 90s sounding title that we have covered, that I have covered personally in my memory on this show. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yes, it's I, so 90s. <laughs> Wolverine, Black, White, and Blood had uh, multiple writers and artists since there's three different stories. Uh, writers are uh, Gary Dugan, Declan Shavley, and Matthew Rosenberg. Inkers were Adam Kubert, Declan Shavley, Joshua Cassiera. Colorists were Frank Martin, Declan Shavley, and Guru FX. Letterer, V.C. Clayton Cowles, and then editor, Mark Basso. Do you think they could have gotten any more people on this book? Uh, yes, because For the one cover issue? was... Yes, because the cover was Russell Danchmer, Adam Kubert, and Matthew Wilsa. And let us not forget the next week or next uh, next issue, we will be seeing work by Vita Ayala and Greg Land. We'll be seeing work by Chris Claremont and Salvador LaRocca. And we'll be seeing work by Saladin Ahmed and Key Walker as well. So as far as the revolving door, the the cyclical nature of this book, I I love that. I really do. As far as this individual issue went for me, it was not for me. It was artistically right up my alley. I am all about black, white, and red. I am currently in the process of getting my body symmetrically tattooed in black and red. I am a very big fan of the aesthetic of black, white, and red. That said, I'm a little tired of Wolverine stories. I am a little, and and you know what? I can honestly just leave it at that. I'm a little tired of Wolverine stories. I'm a little tired of Wolverine shield stories. I'm a little tired of Wolverine weapon X stories. I'm a little tired of Wolverine love stories. And we got two of the three. 
Yeah, I I definitely agree. I mean, it, it was cool with the art. Okay, the art I loved, and I like I love the art with how like that was the Wendigo, right? Yeah, and um, with how the Wendigo looked. But uh, when it comes to Weapon X stuff, I, I kind of get tired of it. Kind of like how we often see like Batman origin stories with like his parents getting killed. This is kind of how it feels with like Weapon X to me. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> no, honestly, it it feels like so many you know, and I'm I'm a long time Wolverine stan personally, so it's with a heavy heart that I say these kind of things. But I. I really do uh, think that a Wolverine fan, like a Batman fan, like a Spider-Man fan, is a little tired, like a Phoenix fan, is a little tired of seeing the same spectacle over and over. Yeah, Yeah. I fully agree, honestly. Like, I'm a huge Wolverine fan. I absolutely adore him. But this felt more like a money grab kind of deal from Marvel, where they're just reiterating the same type of Wolverine stories. I definitely enjoyed elements. The artistry was absolutely brilliant. The use of red in this was absolutely stunning and utilized very, very well. But the plots were just kind of the same old thing. Yes, the shield one was fun and the cabinet with the baby was... (laughs) (laughs) That's the only way I can describe it is... You you know what? Funny enough, I thought that that one was the best implementation of the red. I thought that if we're going to look at this, because we can only look at this as an art book, because that's what this is. If we're going to recognize that this is a cash grab, and if we're going to recognize that there's only so many Wolverine stories left in the tank to tell, then this is a book that I'm going to continue to pick up with specific names in mind. I will pick up issue two for Vita Ayala, specifically friend Mm -hmm. of the pod Vita Ayala. But issue three is, and Chris Claremont, of course, because I'm not a heathen. Um, (laughs) But issue three is going to have to bring some big names if it wants my money. Yeah, so... I have not been shy with explaining that I am really not a big fan of Wolverine stories in general. So this was kind of like a, I picked it up and it sat on my table for weeks. And I'd look over and I'm like, do I have to read this? Do I have to read this? Okay, I will read this. (laughs) Speaking of, though, you know, because I don't know how this ties into the events of anything that's going on currently, especially considering this is a vignette book, but there may be some key elements from this book that tie over into the events of Reign of X. Let's not forget that Albert, the Wolverine clone, that is his name, correct, Albert? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. Albert, the Wolverine clone with the eye patch and the James Bondy white tuxedo is featured on the Reign of X cover and is also featured in the promo image for Chris Claremont and Salvador LaRocca's segment next issue. Oh, that's right. And they did just have the the Eye Wolverine uh, books. Yeah, and the Eye Wolverine books were just super yeah, big. Yeah, so I wasn't a real big fan of the stories, but like everybody else, I really did enjoy the art. And I... I loved the way that they used the red to signify all the blood and i mean just just looking at like the last 
the last uh, story where Wolverine is just completely red and everything else is is white and black and it's just like oh that's really well done but it's it's I don't like it's that it's all gory (laughs) (laughs) it's not my thing (laughs) yeah understandable it's definitely a Wolverine thing but if gore is not your thing this is not the book for you if it's your thing highly recommend (laughs) you know it's and I can't believe that I'm the only person I've seen think to say this. Um, I've already read Sin City. Like, I didn't need this book. I didn't specifically need a red splash pulp black and white book. I'm glad we're getting it. I'm glad it's with a character that I care about. And I'm glad for the creator's sake that it's a character that lends itself well to gore and viscera for the sake of the artistic execution. But that said, I think that I think that in the run of Wolverine, Red, White, and Black, there is going to be one issue that wows us. I'm going to say that there is going to be at least one segment that we're like, whoa, that was incredible. And the rest of it, it'll be collected. It'll be a nice little mantelpiece for somebody. A big Wolverine, a longtime Wolverine fan would love it as a gift. That's true. Yeah, I can see that. I definitely can see that. And like I said, the, the art is very well done. So it would make a nice art piece to have in a collection. Yeah, it, so. it, the collectability is high. Yes. That's, that's why I'll be keeping an eye on it as well, because frankly, if it's more favorable than not, I might pick it up for myself. Just if for no other reason than I like art books. I really do. I I love me an art book. I agree. The art art books are just so fantastic. That's why I absolutely adored the um the giant size X Men with Jean Grey and Emma Frost. That was mostly silent, and the mm-hmm. artistry was just breathtaking. And was able to tell a story without any dialogue. And I love those kind of comics. But going back to Wolverine, let's be honest here. We just finished up I Wolverine. We have the Wolverine comic. We have him in X Force. We have him showing up in other X comics. Was this really necessary at this particular time? If I were Jonathan Hickman, I would have tried to put the kibosh on this. In the interest of protecting artistic symmetry in the currently running canonical X titles. Yeah, and if they wanted to do another um, Wolverine book, they should have just waited until Laura was officially back and probably gave her own title yeah that's that's really what i'm waiting for i'm waiting for a laura wolverine book uh again also mentioned uh shown showcased in the reign of x promo next to darwin um so hopefully we'll be seeing the children of the vault storyline come to fruition well i believe that that is happening in two weeks either two weeks or, yeah yeah i th- i think that's happening after this uh after it's it's the next x-men book i believe could you be more specific no i'm kidding uh, the, I'm, I'm kidding i'm kidding the next actual <laughs> x-men <laughs> book you know what i would probably go as I scroll through because the first two bled together a little bit for me. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was a little difficult for me to tell where the beast in them stopped and I shall be a wolf. I shall be a wolf began. Thank you. Uh, The beast within comes last for me. I would say I shall be a wolf. Then the baby story. 
and then the beast within i think weapon x is played out i think weapon x is something that we're going to need to see it's it's like i believe it was it somebody had mentioned it previously it's the batman origin story it's got to go yeah it's yeah. i i agree with that ranking uh myself the beast within them it was just another logan goes uh berserk story. <laughs> i was really hoping you were going to say logan goes to hollywood oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no um yeah it, it's just like yeah we've seen him go berserk so this, i find this really this. interesting <laughs> that we all kind of agree that the beast within is probably the lowest one because i would agree that cabin fever is my first and then i shall be a wolf and the beast within for me um something that's interesting is the beast within is uh the writer dugan he's more known for deadpool he hasn't been known to write a lot of wolverine and so this is one of his like few forays into a wolverine only kind of story do you guys think he did it justice at all or was it to me it really kind of had like a deadpool kind of feel to it the the multiple the multiple uh text bubbles thought bubbles the lack of communication the lack of clear communication at least between what was uh text and what was speech uh was very deadpoolian for me Mm mm-hmm uh, so I can definitely see that. And you saying that now doesn't surprise me. If you had said the writer of Cabin Fever was, first off, Gary Dugan, um, and second, a writer on Deadpool, I would have said no way. No, the Cabin Fever, that was uh, that was Declan uh, Shalvey, and he actually both wrote and drew. Which is impressive. Oh, hell. And colored. And colored, yeah. Yeah, that's impressive. That's amazing. That's yeah. that's like uh, Ed Pisker level of incredible. Ed Pisker did uh, X Men Grand Design. Yeah, I really oh, did. Okay, I'm, I'm just making sure because it, it <laughs> yeah. didn't really elicit much of a response. Um, yeah, no, I, I think I think anyone who does full production uh, work is, frankly, you know, save some jobs for the rest of us. But like, really, just incredible. Like that takes some talent, man. Oh yeah, I'm hoping that this next issue coming up has some more unique stories i i trust that that vita will impress us their last issue of marauders was incredible so and that was a standalone standalone single character story for the most part so i'm excited to see what they bring to the table in regards to uh wolverine Robbie? I'll also be looking forward to what Vita has to bring. And also, I think I would, like, say, like, issue three or four. I think it would probably, I would probably gain more interest if we ever saw at least one Laura story <laughs> in this. Yeah. Like, I think that would kind of make it more interesting. <laughs> Give it some some variety. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I hope we do get to see some Laura in this because she she is wolverine as well mm-hmm. so it, it would fit you tell them evelyn it was okay it it was a c it, it was average <laughs> i think if if i had if this had to get a grade in a class i would say definitely a b plus for artistry but probably a c for plot and writing and such it's i hate to say it but I, it's just it's overdone <laughs> It's overdone. Yeah. It's overblown. Yeah, overdone. And as much as I love him, give us something new or don't give us anything at all. <laughs> yeah. 